you. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your great love to us. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Indeed, you are high and lifted up. You are glorious beyond our comprehension. Lord, we are very thankful that we have the privilege, O oh God, to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for all that you have done for us in Christ. Lord, how you even would make us to be like him. We thank you, Lord, that each day in our life you are transforming us to be like Jesus. Lord, we just pray that you would give us strength. Lord, give us help to live and act like Christians. Father, help us to do the things that Jesus does and say the things that Jesus says and think the things that Jesus thinks. Lord, I pray that you would, as we open your word today, open up our understanding and help us to see and comprehend you more and more. We pray, Father, that you would bring light to our eyes and help us to see. We thank you so much for your grace and your kindness to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather today and to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. <coughs> With that, we're going to go ahead and uh, take off here. I wanted to mention something to you that um, that I came across. You remember the Power Bible CDs that uh, we looked at a few weeks back when we were looking at studying the Bible? And I found another one that's very similar to that. It's actually free. And it's, it's called the Sword the Sword Bible. And uh, it's actually quite a bit more comprehensive than, than the Power Bible as far as the biblical tools and the translations and so on. Um, just go on google.com, type in Sword Bible, and you'll find a website that will be offering that for free. And um, you can either download it or you can, uh, I believe, order copies. You might have to pay for shipping and handling. I think there's also a link off of the Doll Heights website for that, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Redeemer Church? Yeah. Okay, so the Redeemer Church website has a link for the Sword Bible. Okay. I wanted to tell you about that. Um, and then with that, I'm, we're going to dive off into our study of Ephesians here. And um, I apologize. Last week, we didn't get a, a tape or a recording at all because of my uh, severe lack of technical abilities. <laughs> I didn't turn on the power. <laughs> so the microphone here in the ceiling wasn't running. So maybe sometime I'll try and re-record that lesson or something, but we missed, we missed getting that at all. So today it's on tape and it's on the, on the deal, but we're going to go ahead and try and use this mic so. When you're speaking, be sure you speak up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Today I'm going to read uh, verses 11 through 24. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen. And so that's Ephesians 4, 11 through 24. And again, I just want to remind you of the context of Ephesians. You remember that we could break the book into two general parts, chapters 1 through 3, chapters 4 through 6. And the, the first uh, section of that is about our position in Christ. It is about those spiritual realities which we currently possess in the Lord Jesus Christ and also the resources that are available to us in Christ. They are currently our possession, and that state which chapters 1 through 3 describes is our current position before God in Christ. Then in chapters 4 through 6, we have discussions about practical living, and so we call this our practice. And so the two sections of the book, we break it into two pieces, and we call the first part position and the second part practice. And so now we're into chapters 4 through 6, and we're looking at our practice as Christians, how we are to live, how we are to act, how we are to walk, as it says in in our translation here of, of Ephesians. We are to practice the Christian faith. We are to live like Christ. And so chapters 4 through 6 gets very detailed and comprehensive about explaining what that practice should look like. And, of course, it's, it's set on the background of chapters 1 through 3, which is all of this wonderful, glorious resources that we have in Christ to be who God has called us and made us to be. Amen? So in looking at chapter 4, you remember that we kind of broke that chapter into two sections. And we talked about the first part of that, generally speaking, is about the unity of, of the church. And then we talked about, um, I'm sorry, the first half of the book of chapter 4 is about unity and maturity in the church. And then um, in in the the second half of chapter 4 is a discussion about the old man and the new man. It's drawing a contrast between our old former way of life and 
our new life in Christ. And so here we are in the uh, second portion of the first half of chapter 4, looking at verses 11 through 16. And here is a discussion about the maturity of the church. And, um, you know, I, last week I had drawn this, this thing on the board about how this thing kind of plays out. And if you, if you will, uh, you can look at um, verses uh, 11 through 16, and you, you see this discussion about the church. And it, it kind of starts out with the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and what else? Pastors and teachers. Okay, and pastors and teachers. Right? And these are given to equip the saints, right? For what? Okay, for the works of service, or in other translations, the work of the ministry. Right? And and when the saints are... <coughs> Equipped for the work of the ministry, what is happening? The body is being built up. Right? You see that in the text there? And the body is being built up in what? In unity of the faith. And what else? And the knowledge of the Son of God. Right? To what? To maturity. So you see that this section of the book is talking about the maturity of the church. And it's talking about how it comes to pass. And he's describing, if you will, cause and effect that's taking place in the church. And the church uh, gets built up to maturity so that she'll what? She'll no longer be what? Infants. No longer mere babes in Christ. Right? But instead she will grow up into what? The full stature of the measure of Christ. Which is to say, she possesses unity. And knowledge. And maturity. We are to grow up, it says, in all aspects into him. We are growing up as a body of people into Christ, which means that we are being transformed so that we literally become like Christ. Amen? Is that not the goal of Christian living? Is that not the purpose of salvation? That we would become like Christ. Right? Romans 8.29 For those whom God... As foreknown, he's also predestined to be what? To be conformed into the image of his son. That is the purpose of salvation. And so here, as as Paul tells us about the glorious gospel, that mystery which has been kept hidden for ages past and is is now been revealed through the apostles and the prophets to the church, now the church is being commanded. To, to take on and preserve this unity and grow into this maturity, which is to say that she grows into Christ. Amen? And so if you've been reading this passage of Scripture, you can see that, that there is a very comprehensive explanation about how these things are supposed to happen. Okay? 
you know, just in these few short verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, there is so much information about the church. Friends, we can no longer be ignorant. We, we can't play ignorant like we've been in church all our life and we don't understand what Christianity is about. And so we keep struggling with our sins and we keep living defeated lives. We, we can't do that any longer. God has fashioned us in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we have been born again, which means that now we can see the kingdom of God. And the Spirit of God has come to live in us. And we understand sin and righteousness and judgment. And we understand that the purpose of the church is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Because that is what we learned when we came to Christ. You know how he said, I don't want you to walk as the Gentiles do in, in the way that they live. And, and, and then, he says, then he says, but you did not learn Christ that way. Amen. What did you learn about Christ? When you came to Him? What gospel did you embrace? What has happened inside your soul? Okay? We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are the holy dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. Amen? (coughs) We can no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. We can no longer live like the Gentiles live. We cannot live in darkened understanding. We cannot live in the practice of every kind of impurity and greed. We cannot continue to live in our sins. It is those sins that we cast off in coming to Christ. That was the first rung on the ladder. Repentance from sin. right? Or as the writer of Hebrews says, repentance from dead works. Works that produce death. Right? We're a whole different body of people now. Now we have entered into the family of God. And we have become the temple of God. And we are a people whom He has sought to purify for His very own. (coughs) The place where He comes and dwells. Amen? And so Paul is going to begin to describe to us what that's supposed to look like in our life, right? And the first thing he kind of lays down is this whole idea that we have to be one. We're one body together in Christ. We have what? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? One hope of our calling, right? One God and Father of all, right? Who's over all and through all and in all. And if God is in every one of us, then he says we ought to be one. And then in that unity, he says, this is what's going to begin to take place. This whole process of the saints being equipped for the work of the ministry, okay, performing that ministry, which results in the body being built up in these things to a mature man. And that the whole body together, (coughs) is growing up in all aspects into Christ and becoming like Christ. Okay? If you will, that's an overview of this text that we're looking at, verses 11 through 16. And last week, we got, uh, we got through basically verse 11. And, uh, and, and uh, so this morning, we're going to take off at verse 12. In verse 12 there, I'm going to go ahead and read 11 through 13. He says, And he gave some as apostles, 
and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping for, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now remember this thing about the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastor teachers. They were all given to the church for what specific purpose here in this text? To equip the saints. Okay? You remember how I told you that? Paul doesn't go into this long discussion about these different offices in the church. He merely mentions them, that they exist, right? And, and without describing what each one of those is and necessarily what they do, he just says that they were all given for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of service in the NAS or in, in the others for the work of the ministry. I like the term work of the ministry because I think it's vital that every Christian realize that they are a minister. That's what the text here in Ephesians says. It says that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher was given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So if that's what it says, let me ask you a question. Who does the work of the ministry belong to? The saints. The saints. Amen. So then why is it that the guy that stands up in the pulpit, we call him a what? A minister. Why do you suppose that is? Because we pay him. Because we pay him. That's nice. So you see, if, if we can just get a guy to get up there and do his thing and we can pay him, then guess what? We don't have to do anything. We can sit back on our fat, happy pew. <laughs> right? And, and, and we, we can just come in and kind of take, take, take care of the spectator sport of Christianity. We can kind of scoot right in on the pew on Sunday morning, watch all the fireworks, and go on back home to our former way of life. But that's not how we learn Christ. We didn't learn Christ that way. Right? Amen? Amen. Hopefully not. Instead, we learned that we are ministers. That we were saved unto what? Good works which God had foreordained. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 10? We are God's what? Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Works of what? Works of service. Works of ministry. You with me? And so, friends, you know, I'm speaking kind of loudly this morning. I, I, really feel like, I really feel like this is a major issue for us here at Heritage. Because I believe that, that God has really begun to lay a good, solid doctrinal foundation in us. And what then should be the result of that? <coughs> The saints are equipped for the works of ministry. What's going to begin to happen? Exactly. We're going to be admonishing and ministering and teaching. And what's going to happen? The body's going to be built up in unity and in knowledge, which is going to cause it to become mature so that it will no longer be infants. You with me? And, and, And this is... 
as a body of people, this is the main purpose of why we exist. We're being transformed into the image of Christ as each one of us does our work in love in the body. And what is that work? It is a work of ministry. It is the work of ministry. Okay? We're all disciples of Christ, and we're learning the disciplines of living like Christ. Okay? And so that ministry is ours, and we possess it. And this is why the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor teacher have been given to the church. So that she, the church, the people in the church, every one of us, will be equipped for the work of the ministry so that she will do what? So that she will carry it out. Amen? And then this whole progression begins to take place. Okay? That's what Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16 is teaching us. And in verse 12, he says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, each one of these unique giftings fulfills the work of equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But notice here, the work of service or ministry belongs to the saints. Amen? Amen. Listen, you can call that guy in the pulpit a minister if you want to. <coughs> and he better be one. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. That's right. It doesn't stop there. Okay? He's simply leading you by example and showing you what a minister does and how a minister acts and what a minister says. His first charge as a pastor is to be an example under the flock. Amen? Of what? Of a good minister in Christ Jesus. Amen? So that the flock can do what? Can also become an imitator of Christ. Just like he is, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? But this work of the ministry belongs to the church at large. This work is the privilege and responsibility of every Christian and includes the expression of every good gift and virtue of Christ to edify the body until we have reached maturity in our unity and knowledge. The work of the ministry is specifically for the building up of the body. Thus, all the members of the body work together with their own gifting for the purpose of serving and building up the rest of the body of Christ. Amen? You can see down in verses uh, 14 through 16 how he begins to talk about how each part has its proper working. And as each part fulfills its proper working in love, what happens? We will grow up in all aspects into him. You see, every one of us has a part. And we began to talk about this last week when we were talking about the grace of gifts. And we were talking about how each one of us had been given uh, a, a gift. And that that gift was for uh, uh, not just to hoard, but that it was for the building up of the body, right? As Romans 12 had, had said to us. But, you know, each one of us in the body of Christ has this work of the ministry. And if you will, I think Colossians 1.28 is a very good description of what ministry is. Okay? It, there it says, And we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Okay? So what is it that that pastor's doing up there in the pulpit? 
He's admonishing and teaching every man with all wisdom. With the goal of presenting every man what? Complete in Christ. And he's making him complete with what? The whole counsel of God. And if that pastor, that man of God is up there and that's what he's leading the church to do and equipping the church for, then what is the goal or the practice then of the church? To admonish and teach every man. With the goal of presenting every man complete in Christ. I mean, let's say you're a mature Christian woman, and you're in the church, and you and you meet a you meet a, a young uh, a Christian girl who, who comes in who has just recently been saved, and you get to talking, and you realize she's having a lot of struggles, and and and, and you want to help her, right? So you say, you know, how about I, I start meeting with you, and, and I disciple you, and I and I help you, right? Well, what's going to be the substance of your ministry to her? Right, to help her mature. Okay, now, now I understand. It's not only didactic in nature. It's not only just teaching, right? There is going to be a ministry of the grace and the love of Christ, right? You're going to begin to serve and, and love that young lady. And you're going to begin to talk about uh, sin and its destructive uh, power in our life. And you're going to begin to talk about what has happened to her in Christ. And, and, and you're going to begin to talk about the glorious good news of the gospel, how God has justified her and made her righteous in Christ and called her then to live a holy life. And you're going to begin to do what? Admonish and teach her with all wisdom. Right? That's the work of discipleship, right? That's the work of disciple making. That's what Jesus did with the twelve. Right? What did he do? He taught them and admonished them with all wisdom in order to present them complete. Right? So that they grow up and, and begin to do what? Same, same. same thing. They become an imitator of Christ, doing what he had done. Amen? <coughs> Thus is the goal of every Christian. We're all ministers. We, we all, in some level or degree, fulfill that thing that that man is doing in the pulpit. Why? Because he is an imitator of Christ, who was a preacher, and who was preaching and teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. Amen? You see that? That's the very nature of our faith, friends. The very nature of our faith is this whole process of coming to maturity through through admonishment, through wisdom, through love, through care for one another, right? It's not just beat everybody over the head with the Bible, right? Although that's a good start. <laughs> Make sure it's not a hardback. Soft. Sometimes the old man needs to be beat over the But, you know, it's not just teaching and admonishment. It is also practical work of grace and love and passion, right? Weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn, comforting. Amen? There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of works of ministry, if you will. Okay? And is not Christ every one of those things to us? Amen? Amen? And so we're learning to be every one of those things to those to whom we minister. Amen?
because we're growing up in what? In all aspects into him. Every good and perfect virtue that Christ possesses, we are in pursuit of. Amen? That we might become a good minister of those virtues to others. Amen? So that what? So that the glory of God which lives in us is manifest in our life. And thus we fulfill our chief end. Right? To glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Amen? Amen? Okay then. I also listed there Romans 15, 14. There he says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and abide also, I'm sorry, and able also to admonish one another. You know what Paul's saying to the Roman Christians? He's saying, Christ lives in you, and the Word of God is in you, and it is sufficient for you to fulfill the work of the ministry. Amen? I understand some Christians are better equipped than others. But every one of us has the living Christ within us. Amen? And we have the Word of God, which is sufficient for every issue that we face in life. If God has not absolutely and specifically spoken about a specific issue in the Scripture, He has at a minimum spoken about it in principle. Amen? And so we have this sufficiency. And of course, this sufficiency we talked about for four months in the first part of the book. Right? And so now here we are uh, being equipped for the work of the ministry. Okay? Is it clear in this section of text that the work of the ministry belongs to the saints? Would you agree with that? Amen. Then let me ask you this next question. Are you a minister? Are you a minister? And that's a good one to go home chewing on. When you look at your life, do you see yourself fulfilling the work of the ministry? If not, maybe you're still here. Maybe you're still in infancy. Maybe you haven't grown to maturity yet. Right? Maybe you're a brand new Christian. You should be an infant. And someone ought to be ministering to you. And you ought to be learning and growing. Someone ought to be caring for your soul by admonishing you and teaching you with all wisdom. Amen? But eventually that's going to that's gonna become, you're going to begin to start to mature, right? And this work of the ministry, this work of service is going to also become yours. Amen? Okay. He says here, what's interesting is he talks about the equipping of the saints for the work of, of service. But there's that word he uses there, until. Right? These guys do their thing of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, what? Until. What does that word speak of? 
Ongoing. Ongoing until. There's a goal. There is a place to be reached in that. Right? You see that? Until what, he says? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Now certainly, their work is ongoing, right? How come? Well, hopefully the evangelist is doing his part. And the body continues to grow and have new babes. Amen? And so he's always in a process. The, the, the pastor, teacher, and the evangelist are always in a process of making disciples, along with the rest of the body who has become mature. Right? But <clears throat> so, so their work is always ongoing. But with those who are being equipped, there is an until... Okay, We are to reach a, a, a certain place, and he describes it here, that we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, the pastor teacher is coming and he's teaching and admonishing with wisdom until you come to a fullness of a knowledge of the Son of God. Amen? Until you reach a unity in the faith with the other believers. Amen? So that there's no longer any dissensions or divisions among you, but that, like Paul says, you all agree together one in Christ. Amen? There is a unity and a knowledge that we are in pursuit of. This is the equipping of the, of the, of the body. This equipping and building up is to continue until such time as we attain to the unity, knowledge, and maturity which Christ possesses. We are therefore to attain the unity of the faith, which would include the entire message of the Christian gospel, the whole body of Christian teaching. You know, when he says till we all attain unity of the faith, okay, here the term faith that he's using means the whole body of Christian teaching. So when we talk about the faith, we talk we, we talk about it like the Christian faith and what that means, okay? Until we all reach unity in the Christian faith, in a comprehensive understanding of what that faith is and what it is for and how it is lived out. Amen? Sean, isn't that only going to happen when the Lord comes back for us? Because there, we're fallen people. We're always There's always going to be strife. There's always going to be even people that are, you know, if you give your whole life to this, there's always, you know, how are we going to get all of us to that level? Mm-hmm. Well, when, you know, here's what I would say. Uh, the answer to your question is yes, that's true, but I refuse to believe it. <laughs> okay. Because I am in pursuit of Christ. And Christ has called me heavenward. And Christ has said, Be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you are to be what? Holy, even as your heavenly Father is holy. Right? Amen? And I, I agree. I understand. We are... Uh, we so are, this couldn't be also like a prophetic statement that until Christ comes for us. Um, uh, uh, I, I would agree that that is not a prophetic statement uh, teaching that the church will somehow arrive at perfect sanctification. That would be a 
um, I need the right words here. That, that, that would be against the fundamental understanding of the gospel itself. Okay. To say that somehow we, we, we can arrive at, at sanctification in our practice yet living in a body of sin. I was just going to say, look how many times in our lives that we pursue so many other things that we never are going to reach. You know, it's in, been, I don't know about everybody else, but it's in, been embedded in the back of my mind that somehow pursue, you know, do make all the right financial decisions or the job decisions so you can become rich someday or you can become successful financially someday. You know, even though as Christians we try to discard <coughs> you know, that kind of way of thinking, it's always in the back of our mind how we're always constantly pursuing our, our acceptance. Mm-hmm. We want to be accepted by everybody. Yes. You know, if I was going to pursue anything that uh, I'm not going to reach, I'd rather pursue this than those other things. Amen. Amen. And I think that, that generally speaking, when you consider that question, that's, it's what you do with that question that really matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to say, um, you know, well, we're really not all going to get there, so I don't have to try. I don't have to try, or, or you could come up with a lot of negative responses to that, right? That would be a wrong application of that truth, right? Joe? Is this Matthew 5.48 you're speaking about? Mm-hmm. You to be perfect because your Heavenly Father is perfect? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, sir. Well, my, my thought is, in one sense, I mean, you know, how good does a good man have to be to get to heaven? And you look at the world and they look at that and they have all kinds of answers to that. The issue is you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And yet, in one sense, we are perfect. Except we're talking about positional righteousness here at this point. So in that sense, we can we have that ability to enter in. I think in the other sense, too, the willing to understand it, that they have to be perfect. And there's a law sense here that relates to the gospel. And what that, that verse does is, is obviously we are, when we when we hear that, we when we when that is spoken to us, we just fall apart. We just, we're crushed. Uh, we see our sin. We see that there's no way we can enter into heaven. So the only recourse we have is to turn to the one who, who's done that for us, who's completed that for us. So what that does is, as a law, it drives us to the cross. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an element in which the, the law relates to the fact that it just crushes us and shows us that there's nothing we can do to merit or earn our salvation. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, we have to see it in that sense. In other sense, we are perfect. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that we're talking about a positional righteousness. Now, Paul also talks about a practical righteousness. Mm-hmm. And spiritual maturity is just simply matching your practice with your position. And so in that sense, I'd see that all coming together, at least in, in a small way. Like I, I would yeah. agree entirely that the discussion of be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, be holy as God is holy, is a discussion of positional righteousness. I'm sorry, is a discussion of God's uh, righteous standard, which he requires in order for you to have right standing with him, which can only be attained by faith in Christ to live that perfect life. Because I was thinking the context of that in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount is he's addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes mm-hmm. who thought that their righteousness exceeded... I mean, I, the I people understand. thought their righteousness exceeded... If anybody could be righteous in the perfect sense, they thought they could be. But they fell short, way short. Along with everyone else who ever lived. <laughs> Correct. Right. Th- thus we have the gospel. But it, it, what I am, what I am saying is, is that we are in the pursuit of Christ, who is perfect, and we are in the pursuit of holiness and of a holy God. And so, so therefore, I understand when we talk about we should be holy as God is holy, that that crushes us, and, and it is meant to, right? It is a, it is a. Uh, a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, to lead us to the gospel, to lead us from our from our own insufficiency to the sufficiency of Christ. Yeah, like in Ephesians 5:1, we are we are commanded to be an imitator of Christ. 
So, so in a sense, we are called to a life of perfection, which I believe Ephesians chapters 4 through 6 is describing. It's giving us a very comprehensive description of what the new life, which is forsaking <coughs> sin and pursuing Christ, should look like. So um, I, I understand that <coughs> the scriptures that I quoted um, about being perfect are, are, are uh, speaking about God's perfect standard of righteousness, which we are not going to obtain here. But at the same, in the same vein, we are commanded to pursue and imitate Christ. That's right. That's right. So uh, thank you for making that very clear. I, I, I appreciate that very much. And, and uh, you know, again, it is a heavy load when you consider trying to uh, continually be perfect and live a holy life. Nevertheless, we are called to imitate Christ. And this is our pursuit. And we have, we have uh, come to Christ in repentance of our sins and, and following after Christ to become like him. This is why we're learning and being instructed, Jerry. Really the gist of what you were saying was, like Paul told, I think, Timothy to contend for the faith. And, you know, he, he wasn't telling him to contend for the right to you to believe, okay? He was telling him to protect the foundational basic principles of Christianity. And, you know, he told Timothy that the church is the pillar of the truth. And you'd have to agree with me at this point that the church is... We're trying to defend what true Christianity is all about. And I think that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Contend for the faith. Protect the doctrines that I have passed down to you. Because by protecting the doctrines, you'll be saving yourself as well as the people who hear those doctrines. And I think that the faith, okay, is is the true doctrines of Christianity, the true doctrines of what the Bible is trying to teach. And, you know, people who don't believe in the doctrines of the Bible, they will perish. Yeah, and this, and this faith, as, as Joe is pointing out, which is very important to understand, has a positional side. Right, but... That, and, it, and it also has a practical side. Right, but that's not the arguments in regards to the faith, mm-hmm. the doctrines... That's the fruit, the results of believing in the faith. See what I'm saying? I mean, we don't we don't go around telling people who are lost about positional and practical truths. We're telling them what it takes to be saved, to which, get there. Which, frankly, is is a discussion about positional righteousness. In other words, positionally as a sinner, I'm unholy. I'm separated from the life of God. I'm destined for hell and for death, and that uh, that God is freely offering me uh, the righteousness of his son through repentance and faith, at which time I can become positionally righteous before God. So if you will, in my understanding, a discussion of the gospel is a discussion of positional truth. And once that's happened, once that's happened, then we begin this pursuit of practical holiness, okay? And and, uh, and I think this is very important for us to understand. This is this is what the book of Ephesians is about. The first part is speaking about positional reality. The second part is speaking about practical reality. 
and um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's a very important thing to understand. And, and it, is, it is that law of God which crushes us and says to us that we are not righteous before God and cannot be righteous before God in and of ourselves. Therefore, and thus, the gospel. Right? And, and so uh, <clears throat> I appreciate that discussion very much. Any more questions or comments? Charlotte? As it relates to being mature, I think that when trying to be perfect, that doesn't make sense to a, an infant in Christ because they're still trying to understand the whole idea of salvation. Mm-hmm. But the more mature we become, then actually the more painful it is to recognize that we are not perfect and the mm-hmm. fact that we're striving to be <coughs> those things that we do mm-hmm. that offend Christ or, or offend our calling um, become very difficult to deal with. And I think that those pains, those growing pains that we go through mm-hmm. are a sign that God is growing us up. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that sometimes when you are are young in Christ, you don't have those growing pains. You kind of are just taking things in more so than you are struggling with little bits and pieces of your life. But mm-hmm. I think that as you start to grow, um, it's there's you become more uncomfortable. There's an increasing awareness of your own depravity <laughs> and an increasing awareness of the holiness of God, which causes us to mourn over our sin, right? Which causes us to love the righteousness of God in Christ and, and to pursue it more and more, right? And that perfection becomes more clear to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're new in Christ, you don't really see perfection as attainable. But mm-hmm. as you become, as he matures you, it's not that it's attainable. It just becomes more focused, mm-hmm. you know, more of a more of something that you're striving for. Amen. But in Christ, positionally, we have attained that perfection, Amen. right, in the gospel. I, I think of 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And, of course, the doctrine of imputation, you know, uh, we have been imputed the perfect righteousness of Christ in position before God. We are what? Holy and blameless in his sight. Amen? So then, therefore, <laughs> that's, that's the therefore at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, right? Therefore, since you are positionally holy and blameless in his sight in Christ, right? No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Be an imitator of Christ. And this is what it should look like, right? All these comprehensive things. <coughs> Sophia? I think she was going to say something. I was just oh. going to say, I mean, our position in, in Christ and understanding our position in Christ should bring to us a, I don't know, a zeal to do these things these ministry things. Mm-hmm. It's um, like you were saying before, we're not defeated Christians because we are, um, we're alive in Christ. We're new, a new creation. We have, through Christ, the power to carry out the ministry that he's called us to do. And, and our... Um, I guess just no learning the practical part um, brings us to an understanding of how to carry out that ministry 
and um, and we should not be timid. I mean, these are we have the power of Christ in us Amen. to carry these out. And so we should very boldly be pursuing practical sanctification. Right. Amen. <coughs> I just wanted to read a passage of scripture from Philippians. <coughs> Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Amen. Anybody else? Okay. (laughs) We are in pursuit of practical righteousness. Here he describes it as growing in in unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God would be to know Christ in experience as well as doctrinally. Okay, This is to know Jesus Christ. It is not just to know things about Him. Amen? But to grow up in that knowledge of Christ, in that intimate relationship with Christ. Amen? We are growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. And this all leads to the eventual maturity of the body. Now, you see, remember this. He's talking about the body being built up in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a what? A mature man, right? And how does he describe that? (coughs) To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay? That we grow up into this maturity, which is Christ. And this is not measured by ourselves. When we talk about our maturity, how do we measure that maturity? By Christ. By Christ. We are growing up into the full measure of the standard of Christ. That's why I'm saying I refuse to believe that we're never going to attain. I'm going to always be in perfection of that. I'm sorry, in pursuit of that. Perfection. I'm going to always be pursuing that maturity, which is of the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Right? Just like Paul said, not like I've attained it, but I have that call heavenward that I might continue to pursue it. Right? And I I, I, I see so many Christians who are content to compare themselves with others. You know, the, the kids will do that. You know, you're correcting the kids, you know, and they're like, well, Johnny does this, or Johnny does that, right? And we can, we, we, we're not worried about the standard that our parents are calling us to, right? Because it's okay for me to do this because other people are doing this, right? And we, we want to compare ourselves with ourselves. Not so as a Christian. We compare ourselves with Christ. He is the plumb line. Amen? 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 You with me? (laughs) We are all growing up into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. The faithful Christian presses toward a goal, high and lofty, 
And this pressing forward is the very nature of our Christian experience until we have arrived at the perfection of Christ. Okay? Where is this body being built up in unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God under maturity? How is that defined in this text of Scripture? Here it is. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay? And then, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that's that reference I made to Paul talking to the Corinthians. He wants us to be of the same mind, to have that unity of the faith, to come to an understanding of truth so that we possess that, that truth together in unity and we strive together as one man for the gospel. Amen? There are, there are essential truths, friends, that we have got to be in unity on. Okay? And, and once that's happened, then we are in pursuit of unity on the non-essentials. Amen? Because let me tell you, Christ is not confused about the doctrines of the Bible. Amen? Amen? I mean, he doesn't, you know, he's, 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 he's not a, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he, he's not schizophrenic in his understanding. Truth is absolute. So on, on any given issue, there is one truth, which is the mind of Christ. Amen? And it is that unity of the faith that we are striving for. It is that knowledge of the Son of God that we are striving to possess unity in. Okay? We are seeking to be unified and strive together as one man for the truth of the gospel. Amen? We are growing up into this mature man. Colossians 2, 2 and 3, he says there that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, we have a goal here. We have a goal. The goal is maturity. The goal is Christ. And this is the whole nature of the faith. It's didactic. We're learning. We're being taught. We're being conformed. And we're changing. And we're growing. Amen? This is the nature of Christianity. You know, Jesus calls the disciples to himself. And, and what does he begin to do with them? He begins to teach them wisdom. Day and night, he's with them, teaching them wisdom and showing them how to live it out. Amen? That's the very nature of the Christian faith. It's, it's, it's something that we learned. We, 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 we came from an utterly carnal understanding of life and of the world. We were darkened in our understanding and futile in our thinking. And we came to Christ and we received a whole different charge. A charge of light and wisdom and truth and understanding. Right? And it is that which we are in pursuit of. Altogether. Growing into this maturity, okay? And look what he goes on to say. As a result, okay? As a result of the apostles equipping the saints, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, equipping the saints, 
and the body being built up unto maturity, as a result of that, what will happen? We'll no longer be infants. Right? We'll no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Right? By the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay? Look what he says here. He says that as a result of this process, right, we will no longer be children. And then he defines this thing about children. What does he say? Being tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men by craftiness and, dece and deceitful scheming. Now, what is Paul saying is immaturity for a Christian? Okay, now remember, I'm telling you, the whole nature of our faith is didactic. You know what that means, right? That, that means it's, 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 a, it's a cognitive learning, teaching experience. Okay? And so look what Paul says. He talks about maturity is growing in unity of the faith, the whole body of Christian teaching, right? And in the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. And then he, then he makes this contrast of being children who are what? Immature. And he says it's in regard to what? To that teaching, that doctrine, that knowledge. And the, chi and the child is what? Tossed back and forth by every wind of what? Doctrine. doctrine. Okay, doctrine simply means teaching. Okay? So the, the mature Christian is what? Built up in the, in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The immature Christian is what? Tossed to and fro by every teaching. Right? Not grounded. Up on the waves. Right? Being tossed. He says tossed by every wind of doctrine. Right? You get the picture? And, and, and if, you look at the, if you look at the professing church, you just see these winds of doctrine just blowing through the church. Just left and right. Constantly. Right? There's always some new movement out there. There's some new movement out there that it seems like most of the church jumps on the bandwagon and gets blown to and fro with every new movement that comes out. We call them movements. You know what they are? They're the trickery of men. They're every wind of doctrine. And even like children, they're kind of self-centered. They're going to make you feel good. They're going to prosper you. It's all self-self, which is you know childishness. They're all looking for themselves. They don't really look to God. And God's kingdom comes. My kingdom comes. Amen. And it's usually centered around earthly things. You read about false teachers in 2 Peter 2 and in Jude. You learn a lot about the substance of what they teach. And, and, you, and you can see that very clearly if you look at the church, especially the church over the last 40 years or so. It's just so clear to see how the church is just blown to and fro by every wind of teaching. And, and, uh, and, and the false teacher, you know, it, it's just un, un, unbelievable to imagine how Christians can be so ignorant when we have such a comprehensive and clear revelation from God. 
Amen? We're like people like priests. Um, what I say by that is uh, the people aren't going to rise to, to, to greater than the level of their teachers. Mm-hmm. And obviously, getting back to the equipping of the saints, uh, the assumption is that the church doesn't believe their pastors and teachers ought to be studying the Word of God and giving them time to do that. I mean, that's where that would begin because they become the model and example for the, the people to follow. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they are to be in the Word of, what, the word of God as well. And when we think about it, the church is seeking experiences today. They're, and they're so emotionally driven that one forgets the, and diminishes the idea of doctrine and how significant and important it is in preserving and protect the truth. And that transformation only happens through the mind mm-hmm. and not through the experiences and emotions which, which so many of us sometimes want to appeal to or, or seek after. Mm-hmm. And this is predominant in the church today. Okay. There are not a lot of strong teaching church today because doctrine is diminished because some people believe that doctrine separates Mm-hmm. And as a result, we can't unite. But we can unite on experiences and mm-hmm. feelings, and that seems to be easier. So we diminish the truth and we sort of set it out. And yet it's been so destructive in the church. Amen. And it's just been a killer. Amen. And so one of the things we can appreciate in this kind of environment with the teaching at the pulpit and the teaching in the Sunday school is that we're people who want to preserve and protect that truth and to preach it and proclaim it and want to see the people do that as well and be the model of examples of that. Amen. Absolutely. And that's why we stop and we take a very close, careful look at the revelation of God. Amen. And, and that, that, that is because we have a very high view of the word itself. We, we see this word as the divine word of God, which has been firmly established in the heavens throughout eternity. Amen. This is the very God breathed words from the mouth of the living God. Amen. And because we see it like that, we want to approach it in holiness. We, 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 it's a holy thing. The Word of God is the, the holy scriptures. Amen? The holy Bible. Amen. And so we, we look at this very carefully. And we say, God, what are you saying to us? Amen? Amen. And we're seeking to conform our life to this Word. Amen? We don't want to throw the Word out the window and dance around like a bunch of fools. Bark like dogs. Amen? Amen. But we want to, like the scripture says, be built up in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a, a mature man. Till we grow up in all aspects into Christ. Amen? Amen? Till Christ becomes our practice, even as he is our position. Amen? We're in pursuit of that goal. Not that we've attained it, but we press on toward that high calling. Um, when Jerry was talking, it came to mind what Arthur's goals was saying when we were at conference and how we do need to know the basics when we are ministering to new believers. And I think when we're firmly grounded in justification and sanctification through Christ, what he did on the cross for us, if we truly understand that, and I'm not there. <laughs> and I need to be there so I can minister to to the lost and to new Christians that we can gain that positional place that Christ has given us through his justification and sanctification and to not go back to our old sins, to truly have that understanding of repentance and to truly not be digging up all this stuff from the past in our own lives or other people's lives, whatever it may be. And... There's just such a freedom in, in just that as a new believer to understand those things. 
and to be able to have a listening ear to teach them those things, to gain the faith in Christ, because that faith comes through Christ who has justified and sanctified us as sinful people. Amen. And you can't, you know, you, you uh, it's very much like a human analogy. You know, um, you can't teach a three and a four year old like, like you teach a 13 and a 14 year old. Amen. There is a different level or degree of, of, of truth that is being conveyed. So it is with new Christians, right? I mean, you're not going to bring a new Christian in and sit him down and teach him the deep truths of the faith in a week. Amen? It's not going to happen. But, nevertheless, that is the goal of our ministry, if you will. That is what our ministry is. It is that that body might be built up in the unity of the faith, in the whole body of Christian teaching, right? And in the knowledge of the Son of God. And even with the little baby Christian, it begins with infusing that mind with the knowledge of God in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so it is, the nature of our faith. Carol? And as 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything... You may have <clears throat> an abundance for every good thing. It says God is everything. And I just, <coughs> I just have to submit God and allow him to work through me. Amen. Well, I guess next week we'll be looking at verses 14 and following. And, uh, Is there school this week? I'm no, sorry. No. Uh, next Sunday is Resurrection Day. And we have an 8 o'clock service, which is like a sunrise service, if you will, but it's here at the church. And then we're going to have a breakfast at 9.15. And uh, a lot of you people in the class have signed up for that breakfast, so be sure to be there, be on time, and, and do your part. And, uh, and then, of course, we have our church service after that breakfast. So please, everyone come. Let's have breakfast and fellowship together next week. And then we're going to take up a Sunday school the week after that. Okay? Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for your love to us. God, we thank you for your word, which is so rich. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to comprehend uh, all that ha- you have said to us thus far in this book of Ephesians. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us to comprehend these high and these holy truths. And, Lord, may they become part of us. May this truth live in us, O God, and may it transform us, that we might grow in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man. Father God, help us, please, to no longer be children, but to grow up in all aspects into Christ, we pray. We thank you for your great love to us and for all of your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.